listening to the Coaching Academic Podcast, the podcast for coaches, leaders and academics who are interested in translating research into practice. Each episode, I discuss a brand new piece of cutting-edge research and translate the findings with suggestions of how you can incorporate the research into your practice. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca J. Jones. Now, on with today's show. Welcome to today's episode of the Coaching Academic Podcast. I'm joined again today by my uh, friend and colleague, Holly Andrews. Hi, Holly. Good, good morning, Rebecca. Hi. And today we're going to be talking about a paper um, by Jeremy Balenson, which is all about Zoom fatigue. So something that I think is probably quite close to our, all of our hearts at the, at the moment and over the last year. Um, his paper's called Nonverbal Overload, a Theoretical Argument for the Causes of Zoom Fatigue. So in this paper, it is a theoretical paper, so he hasn't conducted any primary research, but he draws together a, a variety of, of other pieces of research about uh, online, um, using online video conferencing and, and other relevant um, pieces of research to help us understand this kind of idea of Zoom fatigue. And, and I'm sure that you'll all be familiar with this. And it's been something that I think has been talked about a lot about how strangely it seems to be even more exhausting after a day of meetings online than perhaps meetings face to face. And it's been kind of uh, coined Zoom fatigue as a, as a term. So I was really interested to see this paper um, because Certainly, it's something I've found difficult. And I think all of us are having lots of meetings online. And for those people who are coaching, they'll be coaching online as well. And, and it can be particularly tiring. So I think anything that helps us understand why it's tiring and then perhaps help us to cope with that can be really helpful. Is this something you found, Holly, in your work? Yeah, and I was really pleased to uh, to read this because actually I found myself feeling quite guilty because I'd, I'd come away from doing, sort of we've been teaching online, from teaching sessions and be absolutely exhausted and, and think, oh God, I can't, I don't know if I can do anything else today. And, and thinking, but I haven't actually, I haven't actually done anything. All I've just done is sat at my computer. I shouldn't be, you know, feeling like this. I should be able to get on and do all my other tasks. So uh, yeah, I feel less guilty after reading this. Actually, there is potentially a, a theoretical reason why I feel so tired after you know participating in teaching and meetings online. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I've had the same experience, and I'm just going to quote this this statistic here, which I, is just crazy and makes me really wish I'd bought shares in Zoom. But he says that um, Zoom jumped from around 10 million users in de December 2019 to more than 300 million users five months later. So. I mean, it just goes, I mean, I guess we kind of knew that, but it just shows how drastic the shift in our way of working was in such a really short space of time. And I, I, I mean, I can't think of any other situation where globally everyone kind of experienced the same shift in a very condensed space into that's had such a big impact on, on the way that we work. So um, it's good that the research is starting to have a look at these these things as well. So he he focuses on four possible explanations for Zoom fatigue. So 
These are excessive amounts of close-up eye gaze, cognitive load, increased self-evaluation from staring at a video of oneself and constraints on physical mobility. So we'll describe each of these four areas and talk a little bit about the research and some of the recommendations that he provides from each of these. So Holly, are you going to talk about the excessive amounts of close-up eye gaze first? <laughs> yeah, this is one that I found really interesting. Uh, and I love the, uh, the analogy that you make. So effectively, if you're in a, a group meeting, you're presented with a number of people appearing as if they're staring directly at you. And quite often, if this is a work meeting, these are your colleagues. There might be people that you don't know particularly well. You don't have a particularly close relationship with. But the way that Zoom and he uses Zoom um, as an example, basically, of all video conferencing and kind of talks about it in the way that we talk about Googling. You know, we're not necessarily talking about using Google. We're talking about searching online and here. Zoom is just, you know, Zoom fatigue is used for any kind of online meeting, but any online meeting generally presents everybody's faces staring at you. And he was looking at the size that people's faces are presented um, at on the screen and how close you would have to be to to those people in real life for their face to appear the same size as it does on the screen. And in his estimate, it was around about 50 centimetres. And if you think about that, it's really close to you. This is where his analogy came in that effectively, you know, being on Zoom is like being in a lift with lots of people, you know, which breaks all of our social norms of being close to strangers or close to people that we don't know particularly well. And now you're thrown into the mix that rather than looking at your phone or, you know, fiddling with your something on your coat or just looking down as you would do in a lift, you're now all staring at each other directly. Um, and you're doing it for an hour, two hours, however long your Zoom meeting is for. And yeah, just think about how uncomfortable mm. that situation would be. So I found this really, really interesting. And he talks a lot as well about how even if you're in a normal face-to-face meeting where you might be expecting to look at people, you would not be looking at people consistently in the same way that you do on Zoom. So Quite often, you know, people are writing their notes and, you know, if somebody's presenting something, you're looking at what's on the whiteboard and then, you know, Mm. kind of you might look at or speak to the person next to you. So you're not looking, you know, directly at one particular person for the majority of the time, Mm. whereas on Zoom, it makes it appear to you that lots of people are looking directly at you almost consistently because most people are looking at their screen and their camera is around their screen. Yeah, it, this has just reminded me actually, Holly, of um, I remember when I very first did my coach training, one of the things that we talked about was positioning the chairs. And instead of positioning them directly opposite each other, it was better to slightly angle the chairs in a position so that you're not directly staring at each other. And I completely forgotten about that, actually. But yeah, of course, and then on a Zoom call, you just taking that out of the that's just all gone and now not only are you just completely staring at each other you're basically recreating sitting really really close to that person (laughs) and staring directly at them which is is weird isn't it you just wouldn't do that in a physical real life environment oh you'd uh yeah your knees would be nearly practically touching wouldn't they if you were 50 centimeters away from somebody 
sitting down. Rebecca and I, when we were talking about this paper, we were thinking what recommendations this paper suggests based on kind of two different scenarios. Thinking about people as coaches having to coach online um, and people, you know, coaches having to coach people who are exhausted through their their actual work routine. So whether you're coaching them online or in a, a COVID secure face to face setting, how do you help people? cope with the exhaustion um, that they might be experiencing in their work life um, and obviously one of the things that comes through here is that potentially using an external webcam might be quite helpful so that you can position it so it's not directly um, above your screen so you know you can be looking at whoever's on the screen you can be typing or doing whatever you're doing um, and you can choose when you look into the camera so, so that when you kind of establish eye contact um, with someone that could be quite helpful and reduce the amount of direct eye contact. But obviously, if you're receiving the eye contact, that only works if other people have got external cameras as well. You can switch off some incoming video on lots of platforms. I mean, I know I, I know about this because sometimes as, a, as we're all finding at the moment, your connection sometimes isn't as great um, and switching off the video helps. So I know certainly on things like Teams, you can switch off incoming video. So if you are in a large meeting with lots of people appearing as if they're looking at you, then it could be helpful uh, to actually turn off the incoming video if actually you're finding that quite draining. Mm. Um, and we talked, we talked about about as well needing a balance in coaching so if you're doing a meeting then things like rapport um, aren't as important necessarily so you can switch off people's videos or you could all have an agreement that you all just switch off um, your video and you just use audio whatever it might be but Rebecca and I were thinking that in coaching that you probably need a balance yeah yeah I think so when I, whenever I set up coaching online, I always send like an information sheet beforehand, which kind of helps someone prepare. And one of those things it talks about is making sure that the camera is set up properly so that there's a clear, um, you know, so that you can really see that person's face clearly. And even thinking about things like light, the lighting. So because one of the things I find actually really draining is if I can't see the person's face clearly and this links to the next point I'm going to talk about in a moment which is about cognitive load because you're having to work really hard to try and, and see how they're reacting and see, read their facial features so I think in some contexts it is important to have that kind of almost close-up view of, of the person's face but it's about recognizing that that will be draining for you and then thinking about the balance perhaps across your day so if you've got certain meetings or coaching sessions where you think I really need to be able to see the person's face clearly they need to see my face clearly having the cameras on on is important then you know do that but thinking about well what am I doing for the rest of the day could I perhaps switch to telephone conversations or having my camera off or for other people to have their cameras off or or even um if you're in a meeting with lots of people maybe it could be normal that people just put their camera on when they're speaking I know that certain people do that as well so that you can kind of see the person when they're contributing but the rest of the time they have their camera off and I guess the problem is 
now a lot of the time we've we've just switched to this default of always having the camera on um and maybe this is just encouraging us to question whether that's always the right thing to do and and maybe there are some situations when you don't need it and and it might actually be easier or more effective if you don't have it on yeah we took yeah, we talked about the potential, didn't we, of having parts of the coaching where you've got the camera on and parts where you might not. Or, Rebecca, you mentioned about sharing a screen and having kind of a different focus rather than the video um, can be helpful. Yeah, exactly. So one of the points that the author highlights is that in a meeting, normally, um, as Holly mentioned as well already, you'd have you might be making notes or you might look at a flip chart or the board or, or some slides. And um, we tend to do that less. I think in it's just more kind of con- that constant eye contact. But one thing that I've done when I'm, I'm coaching is if I want to share something with my client, whether that's, you know, a tool that we're discussing, I've actually shared my screen, even if it's just kind of some typed up notes, because it just breaks it up a little bit. It gives us something else to look at for a little bit. We can read that together. I've still got the cameras on, but they're smaller and our focus has shifted to the, the document. Uh, I mean, I don't think I would want to do that for the whole coaching session. But it, when I reflect back on the sessions where I've done that, weirdly, they, they do feel slightly less tiring for whatever reason. You know, I think it is just that shift of focus, you know, having something to look at together rather than just staring deeply into each other's eyes constantly is, is it just helps a little bit. So, yeah, I I think that's another thing we can do. And certainly, you know, in coaching, perhaps we don't think of doing that as much. But in my experience, it can actually be quite helpful. And remember as well, if you're feeling exhausted as the coach, your client will be as well. So it's it's equally draining for both parties. I think that is another good reason to think about ways that we can support each other to try and reduce that fatigue. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay, great. Well, the second area was this idea of cognitive load. And I mean, there are overlaps between the, the different areas, but cognitive load specifically thinks looks at um, nonverbal communication and how we interpret that. So um, the author argues that nonverbal behavior is simultaneously effortless and incredibly complex, um, but it's something that we do automatically all of the time. The problem is that when we're working on Zoom, the nonverbal behavior remains really complex, but we actually have to work a lot harder to both send and receive those signals. And so he talks about this in a couple of different ways. Um, So first of all, he talks about sending um, nonverbal cues to other people. So if you're speaking and you're sending those um, cues to others, when you're on Zoom, you almost have to exaggerate them and this might this is probably something you're doing unconsciously anyway but um I can see Holly is we're on zoom as we record this and Holly is nodding to me as I'm talking which is really nice because it's giving me that kind of positive feedback but Holly's probably whether she realizes it or not is probably nodding in a much more kind of obvious way to make sure that I can really see and interpret that feedback because I can only see her kind of head and, and shoulders um, the other thing which I definitely do is he talks about the fact that on video conferences, we tend to speak louder. <laughs> and he cites some research that compared face-to-face interaction with video conferences. 
And this demonstrated that people speak up to 15% louder when interacting on video. And then he just encourages the reader to consider the effect of raising your voice substantially for the entire workday. And, um, you know, I thought, God, that, that is me. I, I, you know, I'm basically shouting the whole day, whether I need to or not. You know, I, it just happens automatically. And something that he doesn't talk about here, but Holly and I were reflecting on was whether you use a headset or not. So I don't tend to use a headset. I've got a separate microphone and speaker set up with my um, home kind of workstation. And I liked it to you to kind of use that. And I still find that I speak louder, but, but that's my preferred way of working. But recently I was having some building work done in my house and I had to wear my headset to try and reduce the noise for people that I was talking to, but also because the noise was distracting. And weirdly, I found it even more tiring with the headset. And I think it's because I couldn't hear my own voice as easily because I had kind of to my both my ears were covered and, and I think I was probably speaking even louder when um, when I had the headset on but Holly your, your experience is a bit different isn't it yeah well, I like my headset um, but I've, I've got one of the just one ear variety headset so I can uh, still hear myself and a bit of what's going on in the background as I was saying to you Rebecca I, I've got quite a lot of I live on a, a relatively busy road so there's quite a lot of noise um, I've got an elderly dog who likes to do a lot of snoring in the background so actually for me it's quite useful to, to be able to block out some of that and to, to know that it's not coming through um, in my audio um, so probably that reduces the load slightly for me. Yeah yeah so this idea of cognitive load is it's quite complex even in um, just thinking about how you, as a speaker this, the cues that you're sending to other people he also talks about the load related to receiving cues. So he talks about the fact that in a face-to-face -face conversation, we draw a lot of meaning from things like head and eye movements, which can help uh, indicate turn-taking in meetings. So it's kind of knowing when, who's going to speak next and, and when. And um, it, it's funny, isn't it? Because it's you, things you take for granted, but if I reflect back to face-to-face -to -face meetings, you do kind of just feel like you know when it's okay for you to step in and it is so much harder on Zoom. And so you're spending a lot of effort thinking, uh, oh, I, I want to contribute to this bit, but you know, is it okay for me to step in now? Is someone else about to speak? And you know, you're ever doing forever doing that thing where you're all talking at once and then apologizing. Oh, you know, it's okay, you go first. No, you go first. And you know that that whole process when it's kind of constant it is really exhausting and then the final thing that he talks about here is about um kind of how we interpret other non-verbal cues that are happening even when we're not speaking so he gives the example of in a face-to-face -face meeting you might observe a quick sidelong sidelong glance where one person kind of darts their eyes to another and that has a social meaning that you might interpret if you're the third person watching that exchange. But in Zoom, you know, that's really difficult because even when you've got the gallery view so you can see everybody's faces, I might kind of look at someone in that meeting, but they don't know that I'm looking at them. And the third person wouldn't know who I'm looking at. But apart from anything, it's because on, on Zoom in particular, 
everybody's gallery view is different. So the order that the faces appear on my screen won't be the order that someone else, that they appear on, on other screens. So, you know, we don't really have those, those cues available to us. And then another thing that he did talk about is the fact that we have fewer cues available to us because we can only see people's face and perhaps their, their shoulders. And so, you know, there's a lot of body language cues that are completely lost in a Zoom meeting that really help us to understand how people are reacting to us and, and, um, and really kind of help us interpret the things that they're saying. And you had a good example of this, Holly, didn't you, about how those cues can be helpful, particularly in coaching, and we, we might lose out on that a little bit. Yeah, I, I think this is really difficult for coaching because some of the most kind of powerful um, moments of insight um, in coaching that I've experienced have come through and reflecting back to someone on, on their uh, body language. So I had a coachee who came across as incredibly relaxed, kind of most of their posture, they were very sort of languid in their chair, lounging about everything they talked about was very laissez-faire you know there was no no panic no rush or anything like that but then their one leg was constantly they were kind of just constantly tapping their foot this leg was going up and down and shaking constantly and it was completely at odds with the rest of the body language and everything that they were saying so I mentioned to the coachee that I'd observed this and thought you know it was unusual and it, you know, it was at odds with their generally relaxed demeanour. And yeah, they, they burst into tears and, and started to talk about experiencing real anxiety and, and social anxiety. And, and yeah, that's suddenly where we actually really got a shift in, in this coaching relationship and really moved this particular coachee forward. And yeah, if, if we'd have been online, I would never have seen you know what was going on under the desk because we don't do we so for me I think whilst online coaching is great um, and it's enabled lots of coaches to to carry on with their business and keep supporting their coaches I do think there is value in actually being in the same physical space as somebody to to see and and feel all of that yeah yeah absolutely and and I suppose in terms of recommendations, when we think about cognitive load, I mean, one of the things we can do is to think about, you know, the example that we gave about the headset and, you know, which is your preferred way of working? You know, do you prefer a headset? Is it worth investing in a, a separate microphone or, you know, che checking which you prefer in, in that way? And, and just, I suppose for me as well, it's just having the awareness that this is one of the reasons why I'm feeling a bit tired and that's normal. And again, it's accounting for that in the day so that we're not just going straight from one meeting to another with no break because it, it, it's, it is going to have an impact on you and your ability to, to work effectively. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we've talked quite a bit about looking at other people um, one of the other things the author draws our attention to is looking at ourselves all day. Because um, what most of these video conferencing platforms do is provide us with a view of our own camera. Um, I mean, very sensibly, very logical. You can kind of tell what's, you know, are you centered? Can people see you clearly? 
has your connection dropped out? Is anything uh, disastrous going on in the background that you need to pay attention to? But it's it gives the exact you know the equivalent of you know if you were at work let, let's imagine you're doing zoom meetings most of your day at the moment this is the equivalent of somebody following you around all day at work holding a mirror up to you every in every meeting that you go to um which seems ridiculous but that's what we're experiencing at yeah. the moment um and he draws attention to the fact that actually research it hasn't been done online, but research has been done onto looking in mirrors. And re- research has found that looking in a mirror prompts people to self-evaluate. And then that self-evaluation is linked to feeling negative affect. And this relationship is particularly strong in women. Mm. Um, so it can actually cause us to feel quite negatively seeing yeah. ourselves all day. Yeah. Yeah, it, I think the, the flip side of that, though, is is the idea that um, engaging in self-evaluation, that their other evidence does indicate that it also leads to more pro-social behaviour. So although you might feel worse, your behaviour, you're, you're actually engage in kind of engaging in more pro-social behaviour. So there are positive, uh, positive side to having being able to see yourself and and we were thinking that in a coaching context kind of engaging in self-evaluation so having that reflective thought about how you're working is probably quite a good thing for both the client and the coach so in that sense perhaps having the kind of being able to see yourself in a way is going to provide some unconscious cues to your way of thinking that could be quite beneficial but again, it's just thinking about the balance. So, you know, you may or may not know this, but on Zoom, you can actually hide your video. So you can just click on the three little dots and it says hide self view. But the default is to put the, the video on. And actually, this author suggests that a really simple thing that Zoom could do is switch the default. So the default is video off. And then, um, you know, you have to physically put your video on. And uh, you know, I, I was thinking because I have tried with sometimes switching my video off because I, you know, I really hate having to see myself all the time constantly. But one of the things I did find myself then getting a bit paranoid about, um, you know, what what were what was everybody else seeing? What, was there something weird going on behind me, or did I was seeing my teeth, or you know, was the camera still centered? So I t- tend now to leave it on. But one thing I was thinking is you could, again, think about when you have your video on. So if I was perhaps coaching someone, I would possibly keep my video on. But if I was having a meeting with someone I work with regularly, like, say, you know, Holly and I were having a meeting, that would be an ideal situation where I switch my meeting off. Because even if there's something weird going on behind me, it's not, you know, (laughs) Holly would just say, hey, behind you there's something it's it's less of a a kind of high stake situation because we've worked together for a long time we feel more comfortable together so that could be again just thinking about the particular meeting what information do you need available and tailoring the technology to meet to meet your needs and I, I think that's something we perhaps don't do but actually the evidence is suggesting if we did do that it might help us feel slightly less exhausted by the end of the day yeah 
I think as a coach as well, just being aware of the effect that the self you can have. Um, so, for example, if you've got a coachee that is already really self-aware and perhaps is struggling with negative affect um, mm-hmm. at the moment and you're trying to, you know, facilitate them moving to a more positive place, then for them, hiding that self-view might be actually more beneficial. Whereas if you're trying to work on self-awareness with someone, keeping that self-view up um, could be helpful in that scenario. Yeah, definitely. So the last area that he talks about is reduced mobility. And reading this bit, I learned a new word. So um, the author talks about the fact that, um, you know, obviously we've got a camera that shows the field of view and close up to the camera, the field of view is small, while further away um, from the camera, the area is larger. And this conical shape where the camera sees is apparently called a frostrum. Um, And so on a Zoom call, you know, we need to stay within that frostrum in order to be seen by other people. And automatically that's going to restrict our amount of mobility. So most people, when they're on a Zoom call, don't tend to get up and start walking around or um, really shifting because they need to stay in the the, frostrum, obviously in the the camera, the frostrum, (laughs) basically. Um, And he compares this to in meetings where people might stand up, they might go and get a drink or they might go up to the whiteboard and write something on the whiteboard. And um, so people tend to move a lot more in meetings. So when we're having meetings on Zoom, we're automatically moving less. We're just kind of being um, in a very static position. And here he draws on studies where it's found that movement is really helpful to people's thinking and and performance and even specifically around walking. And we have talked about this in one of our other podcasts on the uh, impact of coaching and walking together, which also draws on this idea that when we're walking, we tend to um, engage in more productive thought and we perform a bit better. So on Zoom, we're kind of going the complete opposite to that we're very static we're not really moving very much and that could potentially have a a negative impact on our performance and also can be much more more tiring so you know I guess one of the recommendations here is again just thinking about um you know you can stand up of course we could all stand up we just don't tend to do it and it, again it might be that in your if you're in a meeting if you don't have to have your camera on switching the camera off and getting up and stretching your legs and moving around your office especially if you've got um, a speaker or a bluetooth headset so you're not restricted because that's another thing he doesn't talk about here but if you've got a headset that's plugged in then even if you did want to stand up you might be really constrained so um, you know, not having a something that can enable you to move around, switching the camera off and just getting up and walking around might be productive. But the other thing, it's again, just thinking about is a Zoom call or a video conference call with a camera always necessary? If you're having a one-to-one meeting, think about using a telephone and just going out and having a walk or move or having a, a conversation while while moving can be really productive and, and help minimize zoom fatigue by actually shifting those meetings that you don't have to have with the camera restricted in your office and shifting them to a different format and again it's just questioning uh, it's easy for us to just default to the same for every sin- single meeting and and situation we've got and and it's about 
being a bit more mindful about deciding when to use the different types of technology that we've got available to us. Yeah, we also talked about, I mean, technology is obviously rapidly evolving to, to suit our needs at the moment, but there is technology out there uh, with cameras that automatically move and follow you around. So if you are somebody who likes to move, who likes to get up and wander around, and you know that you're going to be doing lots of meetings, that this is going to online, this is going to continue for you, it may be worth investing in that technology so that you, your frustrum goes with you rather yeah. than... Uh, rather than you having to be stuck in in the in the cone of the camera's vision yes yeah definitely and and one of the other final points that the author makes which I think is a really valid point is that potentially another driver of zoom fatigue is the simple fact that we're now taking a lot more meetings on zoom than we normally would do face to face because of the convenient we can do the meetings back to back we've got no commute even if it's commuting from one office and walking to a different meeting room all of that's gone you know you're, you're just it's just a click of a button and your next meeting starts and so the tendency then is to book in many many more meetings than we would have ever done before and of course that's going to be a lot more tiring and and so we would really recommend that you think about the number of meetings you're booking in a day, particularly in the number of coaching sessions. You know, just because you could do uh, however many coaching sessions or meetings in a day doesn't necessarily mean that you should do that either for yourself or the other people that you're on the call with. Yeah, because the quali- as you get more exhausted, the quality of your coaching that you're able to provide is going to reduce um, and if you think about certainly that that cognitive load um, element that Rebecca was talking about, where it's really effortful to kind of manage your own nonverbal cues and interpret other people's. If you're already tired, you know that's going to become incredibly difficult. You're going to start making mistakes. It's going to impact on your ability to deal with your other tasks. So actually manage the coaching session. Um, so, yeah, you might really negatively impact upon the quality of your coaching and your relationship with your coachees Mm. yeah great so this was a really interesting paper and I think it started to highlight some of these new things that we've got to consider now that our way of working has shifted and and certainly I anticipate that even when we go back to working face-to-face we will still continue to use online um, video conferencing for meetings so I think the more we can learn about how to make that work for us and minimize this idea of fatigue that the better it's going to be so thanks for joining me again Holly thank you for having me it's been great no problem and so just to remind everyone we were talking about a paper by Jeremy Balenson on non-verbal overload a theoretical argument for the causes of zoom fatigue And I'll I'll link to the paper in the show notes for anyone who's interested in, in reading it. So thanks for listening and we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to the Coaching Academic Podcast. If you're interested in reading my research, sponsoring the show or in hiring me as a researcher, coach or speaker, check out my website www.rebeccajjones.co.uk. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a review in iTunes and subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have a question you'd like me to answer in a future show, then please get in touch via my website. 
Finally, you can connect with me on Twitter at coach underscore research. Thanks for listening.